not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, even though, even when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And I'll take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And we are also reading from the book of Micah, chapter 5. And we're reading from verse 1 of chapter 5 in Micah. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's pray. Our God, and our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you um, again for this opportunity to sit at your feet, to hear your voice, your word. We pray, Lord, that you would indeed come and entreat our hearts to truth. You cause us to stand firm and to see you and to savor you in the world. Father, we do pray that uh, you would change us. Lord, that this Christmas would not pass without us understanding more about you and who you are and your beauty and your majesty. So, Lord, I pray that your servant will indeed decline, disappear, that you would indeed stand before us and we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning again, Chapel Street. Morning, Chapel Street Online. And um, if you are listening to this in weeks to come, especially from Ohio, it seems to be a lot of people in Ohio listening, then good morning to you as well. And thanks for joining us. Well, there's no secret, is there, in knowing that we're talking about the incarnation again? We started this two message series last week, considering why Jesus. The incarnation of God came as a man, and we learned that he came to identify with us in our weakness. We learned that he came to reveal the character of God, the very revelation 
of God. And we learned that he came as a man to be born under the law. Without that, none of what we've been singing and praising God about and hearing about would matter. It would be pointless. And this week, we're going to ask the next question. Why did he come at all? <laughs> why did he bother to come at all? And it's a fair enough question. Uh, it's a question that I think in our church, not necessarily our church, but the church is misunderstood often. Why did he come at all? I mean, he created the world, the cosmos, and it was good, and it was beautiful, and it reflected something of his glory. Mankind was made in his image. And mankind rebelled and sinned against God and was cast out of the Garden of Eden. There was separation from man and God. And so God ultimately called a people, the people of Israel. And ultimately, we've just sung about it. He gave them the law in majesty and mystery and smoke on the, the mountain of Sinai. And the people rebelled against God. And he gave them the sacrificial system. And the people rebelled against God. And the payment for the sin wasn't enough even through the sacrificial system that God had brought, because it was a model, a type, of the real sacrifice that was to come, that would be enough. The people disobeyed. They asked for kings. They didn't need a king. They had a king. They asked for kings. God gave them kings, and they, by and large, rebelled. There were only a few that didn't. Why did God bother? It just seemed to get worse and worse. Why didn't God just fold up the universe and dispense with it and create another one? Maybe a better one. God could have saved himself from a lot of trouble, couldn't he? Could have saved himself from becoming a man and going to the cross. But he didn't. And so it's an important question to study. And before we get into it, I just want to dispel two very common misconceptions that happen in the church and outside the church concerning why God came. And the first is the misconception that he came primarily for us. It sounds radical, I know. God actually didn't come primarily for us. And the idea that he did is actually displacing, pushing away something of his glory and putting us in the place of it which is actually the the basis of sin romans 1 tells us that mankind exchanged the incorruptible glory of god for himself god didn't come primarily for us this world is not primarily about the world it's primarily about him god is as it were, the star of the show. It's not a show, it's reality, but you get the point. He is the one. We are not the sideshow, but we are kind of bit players in this. And you'll see, hopefully, that we get drawn into something incredible in this. That's the first uh, misconception I feel I need to dispel. The second one is that the incarnation of God as a man in Jesus was plan B. Some people believe that, that 
God created the world and it was all good. And then it kind of went a bit wrong. So God needed to come up with another plan. So what will we do? Well, we'll send Jesus. We'll send ourselves, as God says, as a man. Because uh, our first plan didn't work. We know from scripture that isn't true. We know from scripture that God is sovereign. His plan doesn't fail. He doesn't need multiple plans. He just needs one plan. And it will not fail. We know, too, that it was planned in the beginning because Scripture tells us. I'll give you some verses, Acts 2, 22, where Peter is giving his first uh, sermon. Where he quotes a lot of Scripture, which is a great thing to do. So I use that as my excuse for quoting a lot of Scripture today. He says this, this Jesus, referring to his coming and dying on the cross, Delivered up, listen, according to God's definite plan. It's definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God foreknew that he would send his son. It was a definite plan. It wasn't, well, we'll put this together and see how it works. This is the definite plan. Elsewhere, Peter tells us that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Well, that's not plan B, that's plan A. You agree? Paul tells us in Titus that Jesus was promised before the ages began. Jesus isn't plan B. It's important because it tells us that God coming into this world is no accident. It's not a mistake. It's not an afterthought. It's not a rash move by an angry God. He fully intended to come. When God fully intends, it happens. It happens. Incarnation was always the plan. So now that we've dispelled those, let's get into it. Remember, we're asking the question today, why did God come at all? Last week, why did he become a man? Or why did he come, come as a man? Well, why did he come at all? What was the point in him coming at all? And you'd be pleased to know that I have two points, not three or five or seven, just two points. And, um, but they're big, they're huge in terms of concept. So we'll just step through this carefully. So I don't want to in any way mislead you. Point one then is God came to show his glory to creation by vindicating the holiness of his name. He came to display his glory to us, to the cosmos, by vindicating his holiness and his name. God came in a way to prove that his holiness really matters, not just something he can cast aside. As we've already said, the problem was that there is a law. We've just heard it again in the songs that we've sung. We've just seen how it was fulfilled in our remembrance of the Lord through communion this morning. The law was given and the Jews failed to observe it. And you failed to observe it. It didn't mean that the Lord failed, did it? In fact, it meant that the law succeeded. Because the law doesn't bring righteousness it proves that god is righteous and that we are not righteous it didn't fail the law in the bible is described as holy 
failure to observe it or keep it doesn't annul it. It proves that it is holy. And the law requires a penalty, doesn't it? We all know that. Anybody here been caught speeding? Just me and Sam. <laughs> right? When you get caught speeding, it's a law. You break a law. There is a penalty. The penalty is a fine. Something you have to pay. And by the way, if you don't pay it, the law doesn't go away. It gets worse. You don't pay the penalty for speeding, you end up in jail. That's what happens. Because the law must be paid. And it's the same with God. We know how this penalty works. God's law has been besmirched. His character in the law has been denied, if you will. And so there needs to be a payment. But who's going to pay it? Am I going to pay it? Are you going to take something that is less than good to pay for something that is absolutely good? Do you see how, how absurd that is? Something that is less than perfect to pay for something that is perfect? It doesn't work. You need something that is perfect. You might ask the question then, well, if that conundrum exists, the law is holy, man is not, mankind fails, he's there's a penalty coming. There's judgment coming. You might say, well, why does God let that happen? Then? <laughs> and I think, again, that's a fair question. Why did you let that happen, Lord? Couldn't we have had a different system where we didn't fail? Why would you give a law that no one could or would obey and have to come and fix it yourself? And the answer to that question is so that he would have to come and fix it so that he would have to come and fix it that's the plan from the beginning from before the beginning god if you will set this up for maximum glory to himself so that he would be the one that was seen to come and fix the problem he shows doesn't he how good and holy a god he is by paying the penalty for the law that we couldn't pay. Why? Because it upholds his holiness. He doesn't say, let's forget about it. It upholds his holiness. It's a difficult concept. And I want to say to you today, I'm not exactly sure how long this sermon will take, as Jeff took me on a massive jaunt around the countryside yesterday, and I think he did it in the hope that this would be a shorter sermon, so we hope that's the case. But if you take nothing else away from this little message, I want you to take this away. Two points, two simple points, and they're big, so just bear with me. One, the fundamental priority in God creating the world is so that he will come and display his glory by upholding his law. That's the fundamental reason that God came. Secondly, the pinnacle of this is Christ dying on the cross for a lost, dead world who couldn't fix the problem. I want us to focus, to understand that a little bit more and to unpack that a little bit more. 
on Romans 3. If you have your Bibles and you feel inclined, um, turn to Romans 3, verse 21. So you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Start in the New Testament and go east, what I always say. It's a very, very profound piece of scripture, this. And I'll read it to us and I'll just unpack a little bit and I'll try and get us to delve into it more deeply. Paul is talking about the law and how the law has a power. There's a power to condemn and that no one can fulfill the law, the very thing that I've been trying to talk about. And it says in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest. What's that? It's Jesus Christ. Manifest. It's the incarnation. And the, the righteousness that falls from that to us has been made manifest as well. So, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, guess what? They bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all believe. So the point there is, is Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God, fulfilling of the law, fulfilling the law. If you come to Christ, you receive righteousness through faith. And I just, sorry, I missed that. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Did you notice it didn't say the law, the rules? It says the glory of God. You've fallen short of the glory of God by sinning because the law is holy and speaks about the glory of God. And you're justified, verse 24, by his grace. It's a gift. We can't earn it. It's a gift. It's given to us. Well, how? Well, here it is. Through the gospel. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a payment, by his blood, so that you can receive it by faith. You say, okay, I get that. I understand that. It doesn't answer the question why. Well, fortunately for us, Paul tells us why. Look at the second part of verse 25. It makes it very clear here. This, right, to the gospel, Christ's coming, his righteousness, fulfilling the law, this was to show something. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Now, let me try and explain this. This is colossal. Once you touch this concept, it will just explode in your brain. At least it did in mine. The gospel is to show Christ's righteousness. We looked at Romans 1.16 last week. Same thing. The gospel displays God's righteousness. Because his divine forbearance. What does that mean? In God's divine nature, he forbore. That means he put up with, literally. He was patient. He waited. People were sinning. They were besmirching the law of God and he waited. He waited and he waited and he waited. He forbore. In his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It reminds us of what? 
Anybody know? Egypt. The last plague, at the end of the plagues, God passed over the sin because the blood of the lamb was put on the door. There was a covering over the house. So God passed over. It's the same concept. In his divine forbearance, he just passed over. He didn't bring death and condemnation yet, although that was coming. Why did he do that? Well, simply to show his righteousness at the present time. Listen, so when he came to fix it, when he came to fix this problem on the cross, it might be shown that he would be, he was just. Did you hear that? This whole thing is to demonstrate that God is just. He's not going to abolish his law. He's going to fulfill it. He's not going to say it doesn't matter. Let's move on. It's a bad idea. I'll come up with a plan B and a C and a D and an E if need be. No, he's just. He must fulfill the law. He must. He must. It must be enacted. Why? Because it's a picture of his holiness. If he doesn't enact the law, if he doesn't act in accordance with it, what does that say about his holiness? It says that he's not holy. It says that he's something less than holy, less than just. More than that. He's just and the justifier, the one who will justify you if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Justification comes from the cross. Justification means that you are made right with God in accordance with the law, which has been fully satisfied by Christ dying on a cross and bring praise and glory and honor to God and upholding his holy nature. God withheld his wrath for a time. Then he poured it out. Not on you. On his son. You know, today the world wants an unjust God. Sounds crazy. They want to be able to sin as much as they want and for God to turn a blind eye. And that's an unjust God. I want you to think about it. Consider a law court. And there's a man being tried or has been tried for murder. And you go in to see the sentencing. You know that? The, the, the judge hands down the sentence. You know that picture? The judge on high hands down the sentence. And you go to see it. Oh, this chap has been very bad. He's murdered someone and he's been found out. And the judge says, you've murdered someone. You've been found guilty by the jury. The evidence is very clearly against you. You maybe have tried to plead that you are not guilty, but you have been found to be guilty. And the judgment is severe. But I'll tell you what. I'm feeling compassionate today. I mean, it's a Thursday and Thursday's for me a compassionate day. So I'm not going to judge you. In fact, I'm going to let you go free. How would you feel about that if you saw that? What would you say about that judge? <laughs> would you say he was just? No. You'd say he was unjust. He was unjust. That was wrong. You had a law and you didn't uphold the law. You actually... Put it away. Well, now I want you to consider that you're the murderer. You get justice, don't you? You do go to a law court, you'll see it. You'll see people outside. I've seen it. The murderers with placards. Send him to hell. Hell's, hell's too good for him. 
People get justice, you get it. Now imagine you're the murderer. You're in the court and the judge doesn't let you off. He says, you've been found guilty of murder. The penalty is, the wages of sin is death. Just then a man steps between you and the judge. And he says, hey, we need to pay the law. It's not annul the law. This person does deserve condemnation and death. And if you think you didn't murder anyone, it was him you murdered. But Peter says, it was him you murdered, Jesus. And Jesus stands there and he says, look, we must uphold the law, Father. I get it. But let me fulfill it. I'm perfect. I'm good. I'm holy. I know about the value of your worth and your law. And so he stands between you and God and he dies. He takes the penalty. It gets paid. God's penalty is being paid. And so you get to go free. And so what we do with our life at that point really matters. Now, I was speaking to a, a novelist yesterday and asking her the question, why is it in all Christian um, fiction of one kind or another, the concept that I'm trying to express today never gets kind of satisfied. All literature kind of falls apart. There are no good analogies for this. Whatever movie uh, tries to kind of express this or book tries to express this, it just falls short. And she said to me, well, there's a good reason for that. Two reasons, in fact. She said, one, you can't capture it. <laughs> it's God's concept. It's God's economy. It's big and it's really hard to capture. And the other point she made to me was, and if you could, they'd probably start worshipping you. <laughs> that really hit me. If this concept is in here, then who should we worship? God. But I've been searching for an analogy for years to try and express this. And I came up with one this morning, just this morning, and it's rubbish. But we'll try and use it to help us understand. I want you to imagine for a second that the law of holiness is like a mirror. We all know what a mirror is like. This mirror perfectly reflects God's holiness. It perfectly reflects his name and his glory. What a great mirror to look into. And the mirror is given to us. It's given to man. It's given to the Jews, the Israelites. And when we see, when we look into it, we actually see something else. We see ourselves. We see our unholiness, our weakness, our failing, our falling. We don't see God. We don't see his holiness. That's what the law does. It pronounces you unholy. We see something sinful. The mirror shows up our faults. Isn't that what a mirror does? shows up our sin. So what do we do with it? We've got to keep looking in the mirror. Well, perhaps we obscure the image a little bit. Perhaps we kind of muddy the lens or the, what is it, the mirror, the glass of the mirror a little bit. We take our sin and start to obscure the law, the glory of God. We smudge dirt into it. We pretend that it doesn't matter. But God 
really cares about the mirror. He cares about it because it reflects him, because it's his holy law. He says, hey, I passed over your former sins. You smudged the mirror, but I passed over them. And so he comes because we besmirched his holy law. We besmirched his holy name. So he comes. What does he do? He cleans the mirror. That's what he does. He takes all the sin and the dross and the garbage and the mud and the muck away. He cleans it so that it can reflect him again. That's why God comes. He wipes the mirror clean. And now we look in the mirror. We don't see ourselves. We see a man on a cross standing behind us. We see the glory of God. As the mirror has been made clean. As Christ has come and he has paid for our sin and he's wiped, as it were, the slate clean for those that are declared just, justified in Christ. We see a righteousness that has come apart from the law. We see that God is just. He did fulfill his law, vindicating his holy name, cleaning the mirror. God comes as a man to vindicate his holy name. He can't dispense with justice without fulfilling it because he'd be unholy. He'd be unjust. I want to take us just in mind. I'll read it to that passage in Ezekiel 36 that Sandy read. It talks about being born again. That's what that passage is about. It talks about God giving us a new heart and a new spirit taking our heart of stone away and giving us a heart of flesh that's malleable so that we can be sanctified it's about being born again becoming a christian believing and trusting in god listen to what he says as the preface to that therefore this is god speaking to the prophet ezekiel therefore say to the house of israel thus says the lord god it's not for your sake O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. I'm not doing this for you. <laughs> really? Who are you doing it for? But for the sake of my holy name. I'm not doing this for you, Israel. I'm doing it to uphold my name because it's holy. <laughs> Which you profaned among the nations. You smeared garbage on the mirror. You profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations in which you have profaned among them. And listen, the nations will know that I'm the Lord, declares the Lord, when you, when through you, that's the promise of Christ, and through Israel, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. That's why he bothers to come. Vindicate his holy name. That's why the incarnation was planned. Why the baby Jesus came. 
So point one, God came to show his glory to creation by vindicating the holiness of, of his name. And we'll go to a very short point now. Point two, God came to make his people, make you his people. He came to adopt you. He didn't leave you out of the story. Not really. It's just that you're not the main part of the story. Is that good news? <laughs> Amen. Even though the whole plan is all about God and not you, he calls you into that plan. Calls you into that, but you're part of that plan. Because Jesus died under the law for our sins. That's where we, that's up, that's where it is, right? We become part of, part of the plan there. He died for our sin, the sin of the world. And God the Father was pleased with the sacrifice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's pleased that the payment was made. He's pleased that his law was upheld, that his righteousness, his holy character was vindicated. And you and I get adopted into his family. That is some plan. That is some plan. You get adopted. You become a part of the story of the glory of God. And even people that don't come to Christ, people that never come to Christ are also part of the story of the glory of God because that upholds their judgment, hard though this is, upholds the holiness of God's law. That's why hell exists. Hell exists because God is holy. It's not just heaven. It's not just the new creation. It's because God is holy. Hell exists. We're part of this plan in a good way. And like Jesus, who was the plan since before the foundation of the world, so are you. Did you know that? So are you. You're not part of the plan from last week or last year or 10 years ago or maybe when you were five, right? You're a part of the plan from way back, way back, further back than you can imagine. That you would know him, that you would love him, that you would be holy and blameless before him. That's what Christ achieves in you. You're declared righteous. Listen, why? To the praise of his glorious grace. That's the plan. That's what he wants. That's what he is achieving. Adopted as his children. And if you've worked out the verse, good on you. It's Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why should he be blessed? He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in that throne room that we're reminded of before. In love, he predestined us. For adoption. Wow. As sons to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You know what I you know what I hear when I read that? According to his plan. 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. You're part of the plan. <laughs> Incarnation comes and you're part of the plan. You're adopted. You can read lots in the Bible about adoption. We don't have time right now. Read Romans 8. That's a, a great passage about being adopted. You're part of the royal family. So I want to say to you today, look into the mirror again. Look into that cleansed mirror, that cleaned mirror, and you'll see Christ. You'll see him on the cross. You'll see him in the grave. You'll see him in the resurrection. You'll see him in the ascension. You'll see him in the second coming. And you'll see yourself with him. Isn't that amazing? And you will be clean. You will be declared righteous. Look into the mirror. James calls us a mirror. Look into the mirror. Ultimately, you and I become the mirror. We, we're here to reflect God's glory, right? That's, that's what we're here to do. Listen to this, 1 Peter 2.9. You are, he's writing to non-Jews, to non although there will be Jews involved. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his possession, for God's possession. Since before the foundation of the world, we planned that that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people. Once you are not a people. But now you're God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You, Chapel Street, online, in here, you trust and believe in Jesus Christ today, tomorrow, and the next day. You're part of his chosen people. You are adopted into his family. You're part of the story. And listen, without the incarnation, you're dead in your transgressions and sins. The penalty would still hang over you for that law. The baby in the manger, the stable, the animals. Don't stop. Don't stop there. Go on. If you're not a Christian online or here or anywhere else later on in the podcast, come. Why delay? You're under a condemnation of God according to his holiness, according to the law. Why delay? Come. See yourself in a mirror and say, I am rotten. I am. Let's be honest. See Christ dying for you and beg for mercy. And if you are a Christian, which I know you are, I want to encourage you as we close now to remember the family might be tough. Some of you might be estranged from family. Some of you might be going through a hard time with various family members. Extended family. Part of God's family. You're adopted into God's family. Amen? Fun the fundamental priority in God creating the world is so that he will come and display his glory by fixing it all up. 
dying for his law and upholding his righteousness, his holy name. You are called into that amazing story. As we close, I want to just take a moment to reflect, encourage you to close your eyes, and I'll just say some words, cause us to reflect on the cross again, and I'll read some scripture as we close. God is holy. He's holy. He gave you his law. He prescribes holiness. He pronounces holiness. He promotes God's character as holy. And we could not pay it. We could not pay the penalty that came upon us because of that law. And on the cross, where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. You get forgiveness. Grace, mercy, peace. God has shown compassion on you, but he's not annulled the law. On the cross, wrath and righteousness meet. Because God is just. You are reconciled. You have been ransomed. You've been bought out by the precious blood of Christ. You have received true love from Christ. You have received true life and peace and security because God became a man. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they, well, they will dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's pray. Our Father and God, how can we uh, see you in the mirror and not say how great is our God? How can we behold something of your holiness in your law and not say how great is our God? Father, I pray for us, each one of us here and online and others that may listen, Lord, that you would indeed commend this truth to you. You came to vindicate your holiness, your holy name, your righteousness, and you did it yourself. You did nothing, Lord. And you called us and we responded and we were born again. And so, Lord, I pray this Christmas, you would really lay hold of this truth and give thanks to you. Your son was found in appearance as a man. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>